Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Pochmancier. I am so excited to be back. It's November. I'm really sorry that this chapter and the final chapters after it have been delayed. I'll have more of an explanation after the chapter, but for now, let's get right into it with chapter 17 of Pochmancier. Here we go. Pochmancier, a novel by Strangely Duisburg, read by the author. Chapter 17 Kells and Eleanor walk home from the bookshop in a silence less comfortable than either would prefer. Gone is their easy companionship, in its place a quiet worry. Instead of holding hands or even walking close to each other, they're like strangers moving in parallel. Kells, her mind on mysterious letters and animate mouse corpses, stares straight ahead as she walks, a playing card making slow traverses around her palm. If this is meant to be calming, it seems to have failed. The card is already creased and battered. Several rotations more, and the card is too mangled to be of use. Hissing a soft curse, Kells puts it in her pocket and draws out a fresh one. This display of frustration earns her a concerned look from Eleanor, but Kells does not see it, her gaze once again fixed directly ahead. Eleanor is carrying her harbinstable, a pair of thin books, and a magnetic chess set tucked under one arm. These items had been ousted from her pocket by Slice when the cat sought a more comfortable place to ride in the chilly evening air. Of the trio, only the cat seems unaware of the unease which has arisen between the two humans. When they reach the street door below Kells's apartment, Eleanor hesitates. Kells looks up at her as if seeing her for the first time in a very long while. The little juggler smiles a weak smile and reaches out to squeeze the taller woman's hand. Eleanor squeezes back, her own smile much warmer. Kells brightens and laughs a quiet chuckle, but then subsides back into herself. By unspoken agreement, they go upstairs and dress for bed at once. It is not long past sundown, but it seems the right thing to do. Neither gives even a passing thought to the fact that they have skipped dinner, appetites lost to the day's events. Though they would both be embarrassed to admit it, their heads are becalmed in the swirling mists of alcohol. Adlon and Martin had both retreated into that same haze, bringing the magicians along with them. First brandy, until Adlon's bottle had run out, and then the foul scotch Martin prefers, though they were too upset to taste it. With deliberate slowness, they pull back the sheets and lie down. They are both in the same bed, yet seem to occupy different countries, mountain kingdoms well separated by a vast plain of flat blankets between them. Eleanor opens her mouth to speak, but hesitates. Something in the way Kells is staring at the ceiling gives her pause. The little juggler's eyes are empty of all expression, a foggy stare into the middle distance. It is a face Eleanor has seen on Kells only once before, when she told the story of her parents and the books of magic. How terrible is it to see your deepest wish realized? We all have such things in our hearts, small, feisty hopes that we dare not speak for fear of being mocked. Worse still, there is the almost certain knowledge that were we to give voice to these inner longings, we would find ourselves upsetting the magic, preventing the fruition of the very thing we desire. Little surprise, this. For from childhood, the secrecy of wishes is treated as sacrosanct fact, never to be compromised. 
So it was with Kells. Her innermost secret desire had been realized, made flesh, and seen before her eyes. An impossibility that defied rational explanation had occurred. More than one impossibility, thinks the tiny juggler. A whole host of them. The book which drew her to itself, the place she pulled it from vanished. The pair of letters, so perfectly suited to their present situation as to seem more than eerie coincidence. And then, there is the mouse. A tiny, dead mouse. An impossibility, and yet, something so tactile and unavoidable. Kells's body shakes in an involuntary shudder. She feels a brush against her hand and yelps, her heart thudding. Hey, it's only me. I'm the only one here, says Eleanor as she reaches to take her hand. Kells relaxes. Sorry, I just for... The words catch in her throat. Forgot that I was here? Eleanor asks, a touch of mischief beneath her concern. Yeah. I'm not surprised. You've hardly said a word since we left the bookshop. Come to think of it, I doubt you've said anything. Are you all right? Yes. Kells? Okay, no. No, I'm not. They lie in silence for a long time after this. Eleanor does not press her. Kells is grateful for her deference, but she does feel a desperate desire to explain her wish. She aches to tell Eleanor why she is so quiet. The feeling surprises her. Though a boisterous character to all and sundry, Kells holds most of herself inside, never letting others in, always keeping her guard up. She decides to try, gulps in a breath, then says, The mouse. I feel... Frightened? Eleanor asks, her voice kind. Kells rolls onto her side and looks at Eleanor. Well, of course, but... I also feel happy, in a way. I feel like I've seen something I've always wanted to see. As she says this, Kells watches Eleanor for a reaction, though what reaction she fears most she does not know. Eleanor does not move a muscle as she continues to stare at the ceiling. The pochemancier is quiet for so long that Kells wonders if she's fallen asleep with her eyes open. Eleanor's hand tightens on hers, and the taller woman turns her head to look Kells in the eyes. When she speaks, her voice is a calm whisper that somehow contains a deep well of emotion. Real magic. Kells feels like someone has just reached into her chest and squeezed her heart. Eleanor has just spoke aloud her deepest and fondest wish. Hearing such a thing feels like being ripped open alive. Kells sees a brief vision of herself splayed out on some naturalist slab, her body in écorché. Before she realizes what has happened, Kells finds herself weeping, head on Eleanor's chest. Her sobs are deep, shaking her whole body as though she's being pounded in the ocean surf by stormy waves. Eleanor strokes her hair and holds her, saying nothing more. When her tears subside, Kells begins, halting at first, to tell Eleanor about the book and the letters. Eleanor listens without comment until Kells has finished her tale. When she stops, she looks at Eleanor, searching. Once more, she does not know what she seeks. 
The taller woman's eyes go out of focus for a moment, and then she sits up. Do you have the letters here? Kells nods and climbs out of bed, padding over to her jacket from which she draws out the two letters. She carries them across the room to Eleanor, holding them as though they are very heavy. Eleanor hesitates just a moment before taking the pair of envelopes. When she does, she imagines she can feel the whorls of their ornate decorations. She switches on the bedside lamp and spends a long time studying the two envelopes. Kells feels at a loss, unsure of what to do with herself. As she watches Eleanor reading, she realizes her face feels puffy from crying. A glance into the mirror in the tiny bathroom confirms this. Kells gets up again and forces cheer into her voice. I'll make us some tea. Thank you. Eleanor looks up at her and smiles. Her manner is distracted, but her eyes are kind. Kells puts on her housecoat and slippers, then pads away to the kitchen. By the time Kells returns with two large mugs of tea, Eleanor is sitting up in the bed, staring straight ahead. The letters lie beside her, returned to their envelopes. She takes the mug from Kells with murmured thanks and holds it in her hands. Kells follows her friend's gaze toward a small painting of a sailboat. When did I hang that up? She thinks to herself. More importantly, where did I get it? It's so easy to forget the things that are always in front of us. Eleanor shakes her head and puts down the mug with a thump on the bedside table. Still staring ahead, though with a less distant look in her eye, she says, I think I knew some of the people in those letters. Kells feels cold. Really? Yes, though not well. I just feel like I've met a couple of them. I recognize the writing style. Many of the friends I have from the temperate northwestern archipelagos write like that. Something about growing up between giant trees and the roaring tides. Wait, you know these people specifically? Kells taps the letters. Eleanor shakes her head. No, but I know folks like them. I've been to a funeral like the one described. And I do have friends among the traveling folk, though I would not consider myself one of them. I don't sleep rough. I've been lucky enough to never have to... Her voice trails away. The topic seems to contain within it depths of meaning Kells does not wish to ponder at the moment. Before she can say anything else, Eleanor finds herself and changes the subject. So, you think these letters have something to do with the mouse we saw today? I think so. All the talk of sand seems to really be the key. The sand in the mouse... And the sand in the desert? And the sand in the woman's shoes? Now it is Eleanor's turn to stiffen. Like the sand in your shoes? Kells's eyes go wide. For a long time, her mouth opens and closes, her jaw working, as though she is shaping words, though no sound passes her lips. When Kells finds her voice, it is the barest whisper. In the sand in your pockets. Eleanor looks affronted. I don't have sand in my pockets. Kells smiles, something of their old rhythm returning. Yes, you do. When you took everything out of your pockets the other day and spread it out on the floor, there were lots of little grains of sand in it. I didn't notice at the time because it was the same stuff that's always coming out of my shoes. Now it is Eleanor's turn to goggle. Even as she stares at Kells, her hands begin to move up and down her torso, seeking pockets. 
Finding none, her right hand lights upon one of the letters beside her. Without looking at it, she takes it out of its envelope and unfolds it. She refolds it and unfolds it again before she says, So what is this stuff? Kells takes a deep breath. I think it has something to do with magic. The letter is refolded and replaced in the envelope. Eleanor realizes what her hands have been doing and folds them in her lap, the color rising in her cheeks. She swallows, the sound audible in the heavy silence that follows Kells's remark. So, what do we do? Kells claps her hands, becoming the picture of a sensible schoolmarm. Nothing tonight, except get some sleep. I'm sorry I went away for a bit there. I was afraid of what you would think if I told you about the sand. But I came to almost the same conclusion? Yes. Eleanor lays the letters aside and raises her arms toward Kells. The look on her face is all the invitation the tiny juggler needs. Eyes shining, she tackles Eleanor back onto the bed, and they settle in for the night. The distance between them closed once more. Slice has observed most of their conversation with feline detachment from its perch on the windowsill. A precarious moment has been encountered, but avoided, much to the cat's relief. Though it would prefer to curl up at the foot of the bed, much as it has done the last few nights, it decides not to. There is something about the way the humans are moving, and the sounds they are making, that inclines the cat to seek other quarters. Slice flicks its tail in derision, hops to the floor, and pads off to seek the warm place behind the cold box in the kitchen. So that was chapter 17. Thank you all so much for your patience as we've waited for these last four chapters to come out. Uh, The novel is ready to go, and I will get the last four chapters out on a weekly schedule. I'm so sorry for the delay. I... uh, sort of got down to the wire on the end of the novel and I had recorded versions of what would have been chapters 17 and 18 to finish the book and I just I wasn't satisfied sort of structurally and everything with the way the ending of the book was going I had a couple of early readers comment that they didn't quite understand a couple aspects of the story I was telling so I took the first half of chapter 17 and a few pieces of chapter 19, and I sort of expanded those into what is now chapters 17 and 18. I'm really happy with how these two chapters turned out. So you get more story, and hopefully it's a little bit more coherent. I hope the audio quality is all right this week. I'm in Los Angeles, California, a place where it is nigh impossible to not have a busy city around you. So hopefully there aren't like a lot of airplane noises and things like that. There is a small Cessna which seems to be doing circles directly above my head. Uh, The bottoms of the wings say racing engines. So, you know, maybe don't support the racing engines company if you like my podcast. (laughs) I don't know. If you do like this podcast, you can head on over to patreon.com slash strangelywritesbooks and make a small donation per episode. You can also get a hold of me at strangelywritesbooks at gmail.com. If you have any questions, comments, thoughts, anything like that about anything, really, feel free to drop me a line. I love to hear from folks who are enjoying my work. Speaking of uh, folks getting in touch, I had someone respond to my call for music. 
So I hope you enjoy the first official Pochmentier musical submission. This is by Tucker Wood, and it's called Stars. Hope you like it. Thank you. 